Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, my name is Corey Olson, and this is session number 156 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. As we be get to the beginning portion of the... Uh, uh, of the final narrative, uh, as we are now finally coming to the end of the narrative section uh, in which we have been hearing all of the stories and all of the, learning all of the things, uh, and then we will enter the deliberative phase of uh, the Council of Elrond. But of course, Gandalf is going to milk this last narrative for quite a while. Uh, so we will uh, uh, we'll probably be doing this narrative still for... Uh, couple weeks yet, I'd say. Um, but um, before I start uh, today, before we head back to the text, uh, sorry, I'm late. for those of you who are attending live, sorry, I'm later even than is my want today. Um, we had just had an earlier event uh, that went, I, I didn't want to bump our class. I wanted to still have class tonight. Um, <clears throat> but of course, it's Hobbit Day today. It's Bilbo and Frodo's birthday. So happy uh, happy birthday to Bilbo and Frodo today. Um, but Hobbit Day is also the day on which, uh, traditionally for many years, Signum University has launched our fall fundraising campaign uh, to ask uh, for continued support for Signum University from everybody. We are a nonprofit university who absolutely relies on the support of all of our people. And you guys have had have supported us so generously over the years. I've just been talking about this uh, in the previous session. Um, but um, uh, so thank you for helping to make this broadcast possible and so many other things. Um, and of course, I was talking in the last session about uh, this, the really huge moment that we're in right now. Um, uh, this is really a time when you know, Signum University is really sort of stepping forward and we're wanting to show everybody. We're wanting to show everybody what our new Signum University is the model university for the 21st century. It's not the only model. There are other people who can have other models, but it is a model university for the 21st century. Um, and there are a whole bunch of challenges that confront higher education, things that have been issues for a long time, things that have recently emerged as problems uh, and challenges for higher education. And we we have answers to those challenges. There are a lot of people who don't, very few people who have answers to these things, but we do. This is just, this is what we've done. It's what we've been doing for 10 years. And all of a sudden I look around myself and I find that almost everybody in higher education, students at uh, schools need the kinds of answers that we have at Signum. So I want to share them. So uh, in each of my broadcasts for the next four weeks, not only here in Exploring the Lord of the Rings, but all of my broadcasts. I'm going to be doing a little short feature, so I'm going to start with that tonight. A little short feature on uh, one of the challenges, one of these problems uh, that exist in higher education. Um, and the thing I want to start with today, as again, this is what I'm doing in lieu of announcements, um, uh, the thing I want to start with today is the student debt issue. I'm starting with this one because this is really sort of the the formative issue of Signum University. It's really this problem which inspired me to begin Signum University nine years ago now. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of the crisis that's going on in higher education right now uh, in the wake of the COVID pandemic is uh, is sort of overshadowing 
um, the student debt crisis. There aren't so many people talking about student debt anymore because it seems like a lesser and less urgent issue uh, than some of the other things. But this is still something that's really super important. For me personally, this goes back not only to my own issues um, with student debt. I I, I did not come from a family of means uh, and graduated with debt that I had a hard time getting out from under. I was fortunate to not be in more debt than I was. Um, I think uh, had things fallen out differently, I could easily uh, have been under debt that I couldn't have gotten out from under at all. Uh, So I certainly consider myself personally one of the fortunate ones as far as that was concerned. Uh, But for me, it was being a faculty member, actually. Back when I was a tenured faculty member, and I used to hang out and talk with my senior English majors who were graduating, and they were often graduating with eighty, hundred thousand dollars in debt, um, and it's just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking to see, uh, you know, these young women and men going off into the world uh, under the burden of that kind of debt, and knowing how difficult it was going to be for them to get out from under it. Knowing young people who have had to choose between you know, their college debts and like ever owning a house, you know, for many years. Um, It's a very, very painful situation. And students are trapped. Students have been trapped for years. You know, uh, the, the, the choice that has confronted many, many, many college students over the last couple generations has been basically the choice between two bad options, right? Either go to college, get a degree, but end up in, in, in serious debt that it's going to be very, very difficult. That's going to make your life much harder for the next few years. Or, um, you know, don't get a degree at all, right? In which case you might be able to avoid debt, but then it's going to be harder to get a job. So, um, you know, that's, and the, you know, the idea that, oh, if you go to college and get your degree, then you'll definitely be able to get a better job. And so you'll be able to pay it back. So you'll end up ahead sometimes, yeah, I mean, that can kind of work. But again, uh, it's not always quite that simple. Um, and often student debt is, uh, is, is rather extreme. So, um, so that's one of the, uh, you know, so that's sort of the students, but there's, but there's not just the student side, right? Um, there's also from the institutional side, there's thinking from the perspective of higher education here, the students are trapped. The schools are also kind of trapped too. A couple generations back, um, higher education made what, in retrospect, I look at as kind of a crooked bargain, right? Where things changed, where the world changed for higher education was the institution of Title IV funding. When the Title IV laws were passed, that's the student loan uh, and grant program package, right? Before those student loans were available, um, there was a ceiling to what colleges could charge. Universities were like any other business, right? Where you can only charge for your product what people can afford to pay, right? And if you charge much more than people can afford to pay, guess what? They're not going to buy, right? And that's kind of how college was, uh, you know, back in like the 50s or, you know, the 40s, say. Um, So uh, there's, um, there's, that's, uh, That was the old situation, right? But when the college loan programs began, when Title IV funding became available, 
basically the colleges made the decision that, hey, okay, now it's easy for anybody, even from students from, you know, from families of modest means, um, you know, the family doesn't have to have financial resources. The student can get loans now. So now even poor people can afford really high tuition because all they have to do is get loans. Um, and so therefore you can look back at the numbers. The cost of tuition goes up and up and up. That's the beginning of when tuition got really, really, really high when they knew that people were going to be able to get loans to pay for them. So I I call it a crooked bargain because really it is uh, higher education having made the decision. And this decision, again, it was made decades ago, right? So, you know, like nobody currently running universities made this choice. Um, But the choice was made essentially to enrich the university at the expense of the students, at the expense of the debt of this, you know, on the back of the debt of the students. Um, And that's, that's, I cannot agree with that. I cannot approve of that decision. I, I, that's, that, is a, that is a choice that personally I, for myself and my institution, reject, which is why Signum does not participate and has no plans ever to participate in Title IV funding. Most schools still rely on it, absolutely rely on it. They get a very large portion of their money from the federal government through Title IV funding through the student loan program. They get that, you know, that's how they pay their bills. Um, we do not participate in those kind of government programs, and we plan never to participate in those kind of government programs. But here's the thing. Institutions are trapped now, too, because, of course, as they, their tuition has gone up and up and they've gotten all this money, they've, they've invested it. They've put it into their campuses, mostly. And, of course, college campuses are way I mean again you go you compare the college campus nowadays and life on college campus to what it was back in the 50s and man um you know all the amenities and all that I mean it's it's beautiful they've been colleges have been competing with each other for years like who can have the nicest campus uh to attract the most students they now have all these costs associated with their care. They can't get out from under it. Higher education doesn't have the option the most schools cannot possibly afford uh to just Reduce to say, okay, we change our minds. We're going to go back on it. We're going to roll the clock back, and we're going to charge far less now. Uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to go back to the 50s and charge only what people can afford. They can't because they can't afford to do it. They can't meet their costs if they do that. Um, so... Um, so again, they're, even if they want to, even if you know the people who are now running those programs want to, they can't do it. A radical change would have to happen before they can do it. We have a solution to this, right? Signum University is a solution to this problem. We were founded in order to solve this problem, uh, to uh, lower the overheads for us. We lower the overheads by removing the physical campus entirely. We don't have a physical campus. And so we avoid all of the costs, the fixed costs involved with a physical campus. And we invest instead purely in the education and the educational support staff. Um, And as a result, you know, we have a vision for higher education that everybody can afford. We are actually rolling the clock back so that students don't have to make that choice anymore so that students can choose uh, to um, to get a really good education and be able to afford to pay for it themselves. Um, so I will talk more about 
Uh, if you're interested in hearing more about how we have made this vision a reality and what this looks like at Signum, um, I'm going to share more about this. Tune in on October 15th. I'm going to be doing uh, a longer event called Signum Who We Are uh, and just sort of explaining what is this model. As I've, I've said, Signum is the new model university for the 21st century. I'm going to show you guys what that looks like, what our model looks like. Um, so we're going to start that uh, on the 15th of October. And then I'll continue to tell you guys what's coming next and what our plans are uh, for the next few years uh, in the State of the University address that I'll give two days later on the 17th at the end, the very end of the fundraising campaign. So that is um, uh, that is my announcement for tonight. That's what I wanted. The first thing I wanted to share, this first major challenge of higher education that Signum has from the beginning set itself out to solve and has solved uh, and now is ready to show others how to help solve uh, that problem as we move forward. Um, I said I'm going to do that instead of announcements. I lied. One quick announcement because I know a lot of you have been asking about this. Um, This coming weekend. Uh, we are going to, um, I'm going to do my Wigand marathon at last. Uh, so I'm going to do, I've been hoping to, I was hoping to do this during myth moot when it happened, but that I had some technical issues and it didn't come out. Uh, but we're going to do the great wedding. I'm going to, I've never, I haven't seen the great wedding yet. I'm excited about the great wedding. Um, so, uh, that I'm going to do that this Saturday. Uh, so that's Saturday, the 26th of September, uh, starting at 1 PM. Uh, I'm going to do the great wedding. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm so Tarlone, I'm planning to do the, the wedding, uh, because I've been looking forward to doing that for a while. Uh, JJ, there will absolutely be a recording, uh, no problems. Um, and, uh, uh, so I'm going to do the wedding. I have no idea how long it's going to take me. I'm planning to go for a while. I'm going to start at 1 PM Eastern time. I'm going to go until, I don't know <laughs> when exactly. Um, uh, sometime after that. Uh, but, um, uh, but anyway, I'm going to, um, um, I'm going to be, um, uh, broadcasting the great wedding. If I finish that in only a few hours, then I will to, uh, Wigan will keep going, pick up where he was, uh, and head on towards the black gate. Definitely his next steps there. So uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, so I just wanted to let you guys know so that you could join me for that. I'll, that'll be on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash starting at 1 p.m. on Saturday, the 26th. Um, okay. All right. Exactly. Gilgonther will keep going until I pass out or my computer does, one or the other. But I think I... I my computer will probably outlast me this time. I just got a new machine, so it should probably be the end. Um, yeah, Scudo, you're absolutely right. I agree with you that COVID is likely to destroy a third to a half uh, of institutions of higher learning in this country. It is. It is a big deal. It is. It is. It, it, that is very real. That is very real. Um, there is going. There are. Go, there is going to be a wave of bankruptcies and closings. Um, I very much expect that. Most schools are not operating with a high margin, um, and they cannot afford the hit that is happening this year. Um, the COVID crisis is going to eviscerate a lot of higher education. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm talking about this stuff because. We we have we have a model. We we have solutions for most of the problems that higher education is facing. 
Um, and we want to help. We want to help students. We want to, we're working to be building and moving Signum's programs forward uh, so that we can help as many students as we can and provide uh, a new home uh, as our new program grows and, th- and thrives during this time. Um, but I also want to help schools. There are a lot of schools which need to make um, they've got a very limited time right now. There's a very limited window of time this year. If schools act now and begin to adapt uh, and begin to find some ways to make some radical, willing to embrace radical change, they might be still be able to survive. Um, and I would like that. I would like to help with that. Um, so anyway, that's that's it's, it's one of the things that really is motivating me to speak out as I'm speaking out about this stuff now and will be throughout the course of the campaign here. Um, but um, OK. Uh, very good. So thanks, everybody, for uh, uh, for your patience there. And please uh, don't forget during the campaign here uh, to, if you can, support Signum University. Uh, go to uh, signumuniversity.org slash fund, uh, F-U-N-D. Uh, and that's our annual fund page. And you'll get much more information there. And you will um, uh, you will see, uh, of course, many links to our donation form. Um and uh, really, really grateful. Our goal is to raise $75,000 this year for our annual fund and uh, for our accreditation push. We are officially in the accreditation process right now. The process is only beginning. We're not through with the process yet, and I cannot promise that it's going to be successful. The completion of the process is out of our hands, but we have begun. Uh, And I have, hang on, if I can pick this up without injuring myself... This is the, you remember when I canceled class, you know, for a few weeks, a couple months ago and was focusedly working on something. This is what I was working on. It is uh, our accreditation book. This is our, this is Signum University in a very large nutshell. Uh, And I'm going to get a hernia picking that up too many times. Um, But Anyway, so yeah, so that is happening right now. Uh, if we hit our goal of $75,000 of funding for the year, we will be able to fund not only our regular annual fund, but also the last of the funds that we need uh, to complete the accreditation process. You know, now is the time uh, when we are uh, rallying for that. Um, and uh, and we've already raised over $48,000 uh, from our generous monthly donors who give on a monthly basis uh, and also those who, uh, who have already given uh, here in the last couple of days. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, thanks to everybody who has already given and who is planning to give. Uh, and I would just remind you to uh, uh, to to. Uh, to do that. So uh, Ashna's the fundraiser, uh, the fundraising campaign officially runs through mid-October, October 17th, Saturday, October 17th will be our campaign ending webathon event. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, definitely happy to receive gifts at any time uh, in here. Um, can you get an in-game copy of that to display in your home outside Bree, uh, JJ? Well, we can see about building a Signum accreditation book as an in-game artifact. Um, uh, we will, um, we will 
We will see. Yeah, Mudmore says that's what a major spell book would actually look like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they don't make them weigh enough uh, in uh, in RPG <laughs> world usually. I think. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Um, so with that, let us get back to the text. Um, all right. Sorry, I've got my. My game resized itself funny when I collapsed the window. That's all good. Uh, Wigan's probably going to fall off the stage. Or, sorry, Narnian, I mean. Okay. So, we just finished with uh, Gandalf's um, sense, foreboding, um, presentiment that Gollum is going to have a role to play, right? And uh, now, as he says, And now I will answer Galdor's other questions. What of Saruman? What are his counsels to us in this need? This tale I must tell in full, for only Elrond has yet heard it, has heard it yet, and that in brief, but it will bear on all that we must resolve. It is the last chapter in the tale of the ring, so far as it is yet gone. At the end of June 1, at the end of June, I was in the Shire, but a cloud of anxiety was on my mind, and I rode to the southern borders of the little land, for I had a foreboding of some danger still hidden from me, but drawing near. Their messages reached me, telling me of war and defeat in Gondor, and when I heard of the black shadow, a chill smote my heart. But I found nothing, save a few fugitives from the south. Yet it seemed to me that on them sat a fear, of which they would not speak. I turned then east and north, and journeyed along the greenway, and not far from Bree I came upon a traveller sitting on a bank beside the road, with his horse grazing beside him. It was Radagast the Brown, who at one time dwelt at Rosgobel, near the borders of Mirkwood. He is one of my order, but I had not seen him for many a year. Okay, um, so now I will answer Galdor's other questions. What of Saruman? What are his counsels to us in this need? Those were, of course, as we discussed at the time, very sensible questions for Galdor to have been asking. Right? Um, we're here talking about the rings of power. So his first question, you'll remember, of course, was about the provenance of the ring. How you know? Can we can we know the proofs? Um, how do we know that this ring uh, that the Hobbit just held up there uh, is the great ring? You know, is is the you know, the one ring of great debate? Um, and what of Saruman? What are his counsels to us? Obviously, when we're talking about the rings of power, you've got to consult the, the, the expert, right? I mean, he is the expert on rings of power. Surely he has some kind of input. Um, uh, so that's, um, that's clear. And now he says, I'm going to tell this story in full. He's already given some warnings Right. Remember, he's already mentioned treachery and stuff. And, you know, see, he gave a a few uh, sort of indirect spoilers. Right. To kind of brace people for what he was uh, what he was going to tell them. Um, He's told only Elrond this story. Right. So Aragorn doesn't know the story yet. Gorfindel's never heard this story. Only Elrond has heard it. And that in brief. Um. So even Elrond hasn't heard the whole story. So the fact that he's saying, he's he's warning us he's going to tell the story and not in brief. He's going to tell the full version of the story. So we're getting some caution that this narrative is going to stretch out uh, to some length, right? Um, 
but he is telling it um, <laughs> exactly, JJ. We're getting further and further from lunch is what is definitely what is happening here. Um, uh, you will probably regret um, the fact that they didn't bring any snacks uh, prior to this uh, story is what Gandalf is trying to say here. Um, but um, it will bear on all that we must resolve is interesting, right? Um, the answer to Galdor's questions, what of Saruman and what are his counsels to us in this need, um, are not irrelevant, right? I mean, it's not, you know, the answer to those is not like, well, actually, yeah, it turns out that that doesn't matter as much as you think it does, Galdor. No, Gandalf is saying, yeah, it does matter, right? What of Saruman matters a lot. Um, what are his counsels to us? Well, he does have counsels to us in our need right now, and they're relevant, right? They will bear on all that we must resolve. And here I can't... Um, I can't um, help but remember the fact that we've observed a couple times, namely the way in which Gandalf and Elrond both have combined to prevent the story being told of Bilbo's giving up the ring, of the effect that the ring had on Bilbo. If indeed that is the element of the story that they were trying to, I don't want to say suppress, that seems a little strong, um, but omit from the accounts to the council, right? Um, Yet Gandalf here seems keen to point out the impact. I mean, so the tale of Saruman and what happened with Saruman bears on all that they must resolve. It is indeed relevant, Right. Um, and in part, it's relevant because um, of the cautionary tale that it provides. Right. Um, so we're not going to tell the story about the way in which the ring messed with Bilbo. But we are going to emphasize the danger of the temptation to the ring, even in the ring's absence. Right. Um, Saruman, of course, is in one sense... Um, is in one sense at the opposite. He's the opposite of a ring bearer, right? He he wishes he were, right? But he isn't. He's never gotten close to the ring and he's never going to get close to the ring. Um, so he is far removed from the ring itself and yet is going to illustrate the danger um, uh, of, you know, one of the dangers that they're facing. One of the dangers, you know, bear on all that we must resolve, right? Not on the facts of the case, like the proofs about the identity of the ring. This is not about that, right? And I think it's another thing that he's suggesting there. This is not about offering more proof about the identity of this ring. I'm not going to give you Saruman's, a letter from Saruman saying, yep, based on all that I've heard, I agree, that's definitely the ring. No, it has to do with their deliberations that are to come. What do we do with it? Um, so, um... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, in this last chapter, it is the last chapter in the tale of the ring so far as it has yet gone. And again, I'm reminded of the one incident in the tale of the ring that was omitted before. But Gandalf is including this story as a chapter in that tale, right? Not just in that it's 
a chapter in the story of the Lord of the Rings, right? But um, in this, it, he is directly tying it to the ring. This is not just a Saruman story. This is a Ring of Power story. Um, and it's fascinating to me that Gandalf characterizes it that way. He's not just saying, beware of the, you know, the, the betrayal of Saruman because this should warn us. We should have this in mind, you know, to, as a cautionary tale when we're making future plans or something like that. He explicitly says that this story is part of the story of the ring itself. Um, and, but yet very much dis- distanced in every way from Bilbo and Frodo, the ring bearers, right? Um, I assume we'll kind of come back um, and talk about that uh, as we sort of continue through, but I wanted to sort of point that out at the beginning. Okay, so his narrative itself. At the end of June, I was in the Shire. But a cloud of anxiety was on my mind, and I rode to the southern borders of the little land, for I had a foreboding of some danger, still hidden from me, but drawing near. He goes to the southern borders of the Shire. I don't know why he does this. Um... Yeah, J.J., exactly. He goes south, and then he loops back up around to Bree from there. Um, the only thing I have to imagine is that he be- he was looking for he must have been looking for Aragorn. Um, he must have thought he must have had reason to think that Aragorn would be south of the South Farthing, that he would be along the southern border of the Shire. Why else would he go? And where did he get news? For all that he's going to be telling a fairly full narrative, there's a lot of information Gandalf is not going to give here, right? Um, why would you go for news to the southern border of the Shire? Nobody lives down there. There's nothing there at the southern border, right? The only ones who could be there would be the rangers, right? He knows that the borders of the Shire are patrolled by the Dúnedain. Um, so it must be from the Dúnedain that he is looking to hear news. Now, they're presumably um, patrolling all of the borders of the Shire. Um, so he could have gone to any border of the Shire uh, looking for rangers, and you'd think going along the Dwarf Road out towards Bree would be the easiest way for him to travel uh, in order to try to find um, uh, these kinds of updates. Um, but he... Doesn't do that right? I see a couple people pointing out that he he probably needed to needed to reload on Longbottom Leaf, so he he was heading through the South Farthing to do some shopping along the way. Um, very possible, very possible. It is also possible, Ashnaz. We should not overlook that um, that he might be wanting to chat to the Hobbit bounders as well. Uh, the bounders have been quite busy, so there will be. Um, hobbits patrolling the boundaries of the Shire also. Um, so I have no doubt that he would speak with them as well. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's too proud uh, to talk to the hobbits um, uh, down there. But I, I definitely think it's uh, it's certainly the um, the Dúnedain who are going to have a little bit more context for whatever observations they might have made, right, that might be there to be made. Um, but... Um, uh, but yeah, so now, now JJ, I agree with you 
he doesn't um he doesn't explicitly say he set out in order to find news um but it's it's that is a that is a conjecture on my part it just says he had a foreboding of danger still hidden from me but drawing near um was he what intending to intercept the danger, right? Was he not going for news, but he thought the danger was coming from the south, so he went south in order to try to find the danger. You know, maybe he felt it was approaching from the south, Argent. That seems possible. Um, but, um, but I do think that, um, you know, their messages reached me, he says. Um, I, I have a hard time. Th- I mean, he obviously collected his messages, right? Um, I, I, I don't think that um I, I i don't think it's a coincidence like i was down there minding my own business looking for danger when all of a sudden i've met a messenger right again he's just been explaining he and aragorn have both been talking about how the shire has been under con- continuous vigilance and how the the watch on the shire has been redoubled so um i i again i i think that finding somebody um is uh uh Part it certainly seems to me a fair conjecture as as to part of the reason why why he went, um, but uh, I do like the idea. Um, let's see, uh, yeah, Mornowin was pointing out that he may also be trying to uh, um, to hide his own movements, right? So that might be why he wouldn't take the road out in the general Breeward direction because. Since the Shire is probably surrounded by spies, um, you know, heading out by the main road uh, towards like the nearest town of any significance uh, is probably the number one place where he would have been looked for. So um, since he knows the Rangers are all around the Shire heading south uh, would, I think, be an effective way uh, for him to um, uh, for him to. Uh, you know, get, um, get to a place where, you know, uh, get, get, get to where he's going without being spotted and without his whereabouts being, uh, uh, being reported. Um, and certainly our, our threats are more likely to come from a general southerly direction. Certainly I can understand if he doesn't want to go by the main road, why he wouldn't like head north over the green fields. He could go that way, right. And probably wouldn't be looked for up there either, but why, right? Yeah. Danger, um, that danger is kind. It is danger is coming from the south, right? Uh, so, um, his foreboding may be, in fact, directing him in a general southerly direction there uh, as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, he can feel it drawing near the danger. Some danger drawing near, still hidden from him. He doesn't know what it is, right? But some. Uh, danger is coming. And then the messages reached him, telling him of war and defeat in Gondor. So he has heard the news that the bridges of Gondor have been recaptured and there was a black shadow on the battlefield that crossed the river. This, in my mind, totally proves that he's talking to the Dunedain, because who else, who else, like in all of Eriador, would have gotten that news, right? The Dunedain, I can see, 
staying in touch and maintaining enough of a network to hear the news from Rivendell, or from, not from Rivendell, but to hear the news from Gondor, right? To know, have any idea um, what's, uh, what's going on in Gondor. Um, uh, but, uh, I mean, like, would Gildor know about that? I don't know that Gildor would. How would Gildor hear about what's going on down in Gondor? I mean, other than potentially from the Dunedain. Now, I, 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 I think it's, I think it's fairly, uh, uh, fairly certain there are refugees from the South Argent, but not yet from Minas Tirith, right? There, I mean, I don't think that the refugees from the South would yet. Again, like when the refugees are coming up the Greenway, I don't know that the refugees are coming up from Gondor proper. That's really far, that re- for refugees to come up. Um, Yes, they seem to be fleeing the troubles in Dunland, uh, is what uh, uh, is what I suspect. I don't think that, you know, that for work... And, and remember, it's it's been fairly recent. I mean, especially in terms of how long it takes to travel. Remember Boromir's journey of 110 days. Um, so, um, uh, you know, I, I don't think people have not abandoned Minas Tirith yet, right? So, again, I don't see Gondorian refugees... Trekking up the greenway to Bree yet, um, uh, so I can't think it's from refugees that they have heard this news. Um, but somebody's keeping tabs on what's going on, and it makes all kinds of sense to me that Aragorn, as captain of the Dunedain, is going to have some folks is going to have some runners, right? Some people monitoring what's happening because he knows that. Sauron's attack is going to come, and he knows it's. It, he knows as much as as Boromir does that Sauron's attacks are likely to come first against Gondor. So um, I am sure he has some people watching what's going on down in Gondor and sprinting up, taking probably fewer than 110 days uh, to get up there because they know where they're going, right? Uh, to report in and keep the rest of the Dunedain informed uh, about this. Um, so, um, yeah, Arnaz says the Rangers already lost the North Kingdom. They aren't going to allow the South to fall unnoticed. Um, yes, yes. Um, uh, exactly, exactly. So, okay. Um, But I found nothing save a few fugitives from the south. Yet it seemed to me that on them sat a fear of which they would not speak. There are fugitives coming from the south. Now, south here is very vague, right? We don't know what's south. Um, uh, again, it's possible to imagine from this, you know, war and defeat in Gondor and then fugitives from the south. It's possible to imagine that the fugitives are coming from uh, are coming from Gondor, but again, I don't believe it. Um, uh, and I especially don't believe it because it's been, it's been a very short time, like a, a skilled runner with changes of horses and who knows just where he's going, um, could maybe make it up the greenway, uh, from Minas Tirith in time for the news of the, of the defeat to have come through already. Um, because it was the end of June. When this happens, and remember, it was June twentieth that the uh, that the battle and defeat hap- that the war and defeat in Gondor happened. Um, so it's been nine days since the event. Um, again, a, a skilled runner 
um, you know, uh, could potentially uh, make it up. Um, but fugitives? No way. <laughs> no way. Like people fleeing with their families and goods on a wagon are not making it up to, uh, to you know, south of the South Farthing in nine days uh, from the uh, uh, from the from the battle. So his uh, his. So that's why, although the referring to Gondor, you know, in one sentence and the fugitives from the south in the next sentence it kind of makes it sound like that. I don't. Um, I don't, uh, I don't believe that. Um, yeah, Arnas, exactly. Gondorian refugees seem to head to Lebanon. Exactly. When they, when they evacuate the city, they don't, the evacuees don't go north, they go south, right? So, and that's exactly what I would expect from that. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's, um, uh, it's, yeah, or carry the one, carry the one is a skilled runner who might have died immediately after her arrival. Yeah. Now, I, when I say runner, I mean rider, right? Not actually running on his own feet. Um, and not even necessarily one. Again, I can imagine that um, Aragorn, knowing that the time is approaching, right? Knowing that the, the crisis is coming and, and wanting news in the north as soon as possible of any major change. if Because he knows and at any time, Sauron could launch his initiative, right? The war against the shadow that he's been anticipating and waiting for could start any time now. He knows this, right? So could would Aragorn have—would he have set up watchers in Gondor? Yes, I think he would. Um, would he have set up a system uh, for them to— um, uh, for them to report, you know, for them to be able to relay uh, messages, um, you know, like the, you know, like the Pony Express or something, you know, the the Dunedain Express. Um, I very, very possibly he would have done that. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, um, they could have come by boat. That's possible. I don't know how long it would take to sail around by the shore to that point. But, um, anyway, I'm, I'm definitely willing to believe, uh, that they had, that there was time for them to get there in nine days, substantially less than 110. Um, uh, but, um, uh, anyway, um, is it possible that Gandalf has his own spy network? Um, their messages reached me, telling me of war and defeat in Gondor. Could he have been told, literally, by a little bird? Um, would there be... So, I mean, we don't know, right? But he is, um, as you say, Rowan, uh, using a very distinctively passive voice there, right? Um, uh, that... Um, uh, yeah, JJ, as you say, messages reached him, not just news, not just rumors, right? This is not just like what everybody's talking about. Messages reached him, um, like intended for him. Um, uh, so maybe, maybe, you know, we know that he speaks to, you know, uh, bird on bow and beast in den in their own secret tongues. Um, so again, you know, and we we're just talking about talking bird communication networks last time um i think it's very possible um that uh he um uh that he could have gotten means faster than uh faster than humans 
could travel. Um, I don't know, I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see a, um, an analysis of that. How fast? Because uh, I, I really don't know. How fast could, is it possible? <laughs> By the way, I don't want to do a reenactment of this. Um, but would it be possible for um, a human rider or set of riders um, to make it up to the General Bree area in nine days uh, from Gondor? Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's even possible. If it's not possible, um, then... That seems to me very... Now, some people are asking about, um, uh, you know, could, like, the Valar have sent him a message in some way? I mean, I can't rule it out completely, but I don't think so. Um, that does not strike me as the way that they communicate. Um, um, yeah, that doesn't strike me as the way that they communicate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't think we have no precedent at all of the Valar ever acting in that particular way. Um, Tour doesn't receive, you know, an update about what, you know, the that they don't offer themselves as messengers, you know, like, uh, as newsboys, right? That's, I don't, I don't think so. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> JJ's imagining that's probably why Gandalf went south. Almost. Sorry, you're breaking up. Let me try traveling a little closer to the ocean. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Angrist Lauren isn't exactly the same as Tuor, but he's also not exactly different from Tuor either. Uh, the Istari are in a different place. Um, they're not, um, they're not operating by, you know, Einur rules anymore. Um, Okay, Matt says the Pony Express could take a message from the East Coast to the West Coast in 10 days. So uh, the Pony Express back in the 19th century could do 3,000 miles in 10 days. So, uh, yeah, 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 Trifle uh, was just saying the same thing. Um, uh, It would be a pretty intense infrastructure to put in place, Trifle. I agree. Um, Yeah. but, I mean, that does make it possible because it's substantially less than 3,000 miles, I believe. Uh, how many miles is it from Gondor, from like, from Minas Tirith uh, to Bree? Um, how many miles is that? I don't remember the scale offhand. Anybody who can give me an estimate on that, that'd be good. Um, uh but anyway, it's sounding like it is theoretically possible. We would have to imagine Aragorn being quite foresighted, right? Not not like mystically foresighted, just you know, prudent. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Interesting. Flammifer says, the distance from Minas Tirith to Sarn Ford is five times by map as far as Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli run. Uh, right, right. I see. I got you. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and considering they can use the Gap of Rohan, right? They don't have, I mean... There's no gap of Rohan in the Rocky Mountains, right? So the the 10 days from East Coast to West Coast for the Pony Express counts the Rockies, right? Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. Oh, the Pony Express basically basically took I-80, it's the same path as 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 I eighty across uh, across America. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Well, anyway. So, whether you know Aragorn has set up a very quick post service to bring him news from the south, which again I don't, I don't rule that out uh, because. Um, I don't rule that out because the the again he would want to know uh, when it's go time, right? When Sauron is making a move. Um, But, um, but all things considered, I think the uh, bird messenger is sounding even more likely to me, actually. Um, Yeah, exactly, Skoto. It's all the mountain-changing stations that you would need along the way which considering the terrain they have to go through all the way up the greenway, I mean, from the gap of Rohan to Bree, I mean, that's a long stretch in which theoretically you could, you know, have mount changing stations for uh, the Dunedain all along the way. Um, But, you know, that's, um, uh, that's tricky. That's tricky. Um, it's possible. Again, I don't want to rule that out, but uh, um, but the bird messenger also seems very very likely. Um, the Back to the fugitives from the south, though. Um, I found nothing save a few fugitives from the south, and as I said, I think that um, the fugitives from the south are. Um, oh, oh dear. Hang on a second. I can do my resizing here. Yikes. Oh, come on now. There we are. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm having all manner of troubles here. Never mind. Okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stick here for a minute. I'm just gonna finish out. Um now, several people have mentioned uh, have mentioned eagles. It's of course theoretically possible. We don't have Gandalf has not Gandalf mentions getting in touch with the eagles. Right, the eagles are going to enter into his story at one point, um, and when they do, um, you know, he's he's going to talk about that. So I'm reluctant to believe that the eagles have already been playing a role, or else he'd have mentioned them already. 
right? Um, he would he would mention so he he brings it up when he encounters the eagle. Um, if he were just getting a message, you know, from some other you know small messenger bird uh, or something, he might not mention the mechanics of that necessarily. Um, but anyway. Back so so the fugitives. I'm assuming the fugitives from the south uh, are from Dunland and Enidwife. They're you know between uh, you know from down south in Eriador there, um, and uh, yet it seemed to me that on them sat a fear of which they would not speak. Um, so. Um, yeah, Mike, exactly. I'm also reluctant to invoke eagles unless they're explicitly mentioned. Tolkien does love the eagles, as he said. Sometimes he fears he loves them too much. Uh, but, um, but th- th- yeah, he loves them so much that he tends to mention them when they're involved. So, yeah, if, if we don't have any reference to an eagle or even any circumstantial evidence of an eagle being around, I am very reluctant uh, to ascribe uh, activities to eagles here. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. Um, yeah, JJ, you're right. A bunch of huge Misty Mountains eagles flying around not too far from the South Farthing would probably have made the local news, right? Uh, people would probably be, uh, talking about that. Um, um, but anyway, so the fears of which they would not speak, this seems to me almost certain that some of the fugitives from the south have encountered the Nazgul. Remember, the Nazgul are taking much more than nine or ten or twenty or any number of days, right? Um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the people of, uh, of, you know, these fugitives from the south um, are... Uh, here we go. Okay. The people from the south, or sorry, the, not the people from the south, uh, the Nazgul are taking a very indirect route. They have no idea where they're going. They're wandering around looking for the Shire, right? Looking for it. And therefore, they are accosting people. They're not avoiding people. They're seeking people out in order to interrogate them. Um... Yeah, I don't know exactly how these conversations would go. Hi there, excuse me. Um, do you know anything about a place called the Shire? Could you tell me about that? Um, I, you know, uh, so we know that they are asking. Everywhere they go, um, uh, (laughs) they're asking, uh, for news of the Shire. Um, and everybody that they're asking is being traumatized, right? Um, um, Tim, the Nazgul learned about it from Sauron, who learned about it from Gollum. He learned about it from Gollum not because Bilbo told him in the book during chapter 5 of The Hobbit, but because Gollum went to Erebor afterwards. He went to Dale and learned about Bilbo, did his research about Bilbo. And everyone in the misty, in the Lonely Mountain area knew that Bilbo was from the Shire. Uh, they had heard the name. He talked about the Shire. So they knew about that. Um, but the Nazgul... So th- those were the two things. We're told those are the two things that Sauron learned from Gollum, was 
the name of Baggins and the name of the Shire. Um, and that it was out west somewhere, right? The other side of the Misty Mountains, uh, vaguely in that direction. Um, and probably generally north, uh, just, you know, given the stories about the, you know, Bilbo and the dwarves coming over the mountains, you know, from, uh, from the west. Um, but again, they have no idea. They have no idea where to where to find it. I mean, it's kind of like saying, you know, having no maps uh, and no way of knowing and like setting out on foot, you know, me setting out from where I am here on New Hampshire, setting out on foot or on horseback, you know, to find like Topeka, Kansas, right? You know, like I'm just gonna find to pe- with with no maps. I'm just gonna go and ask people. Like, uh, excuse me, do you know uh, how to get to Topeka from here? <laughs> right. I'm just like I should head west generally. Okay. Right. Like it's gonna take, it's gonna take a while. Right. It's gonna take a while. It is enough. Right. Shire and Baggins is enough for them eventually to find the ring, um, but it's not gonna be an efficient search. Um, with no maps and nobody, you know, and the hobbits being uh, fairly low profile uh, and therefore nobody really uh, having uh, heard of them. As Nancy says, if you get to Valinor, you've gone too far. <laughs> That's pretty much, yeah. If you hit the ocean, turn around and, and come back again the other way. Um, exactly. Um, so, yes, so they we know that they are asking folks. So that these fugitives from the South um, who have a fear of which they would not speak sitting on them. Um, I don't think that the Nazgul need have threatened them. Um, I mean, they might have done, you know, they might, you know, uh, but I don't know that they would want to. I mean, do the Nazgul care? Are the, I mean, I don't think the Nazgul are trying to keep necessarily trying to keep their presence a secret. Um, what's their motivation? I mean, are they afraid somebody like Gandalf or Elrond are going to find out about them? I mean, are they afraid of that? I'm not sure they're afraid of that. Um, but um, uh, anyway, um, so I and we also don't have any evidence in the few conversations that are related to us, like neither Gaffer Gamgee nor Farmer Maggot are told to not tell anybody. Right, that it's not doesn't seem to be part of the Black Riders' normal shtick. I shall return with gold is part of their normal shtick, apparently. Um, but um, I, and don't tell anybody you saw me or else doesn't seem to be part of their normal shtick. So that's not the point. I think the point is just that th- these people are terrified. They were that was a horrifying, terrifying. This is like a horror movie made real, right? I mean, they are encountering uh, these people whose very presence chills their blood. They don't want to remember it. They don't want uh, to speak of it. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, I definitely, um, I think that that's what it is. But again, I think that it's just the fear on them sat a fear. Right. That phrasing of Gandalf's really suggests to me this is just a it's like a passive consequence uh, of um, uh, of the encounter with the Nazgul. And one of the things, you know, Gandalf doesn't himself emphasize this, um, but one of the things that really um, um, is interesting to me 
uh, in this. I can't help but remember Gaffer Gamgee and Farmer Maggot, both of them, right? Giving lip to the Nazgul, right? Um, you know, Gaffer Gamgee does not enjoy his conversation with the Nazgul. It's not that he's unafraid of the Nazgul entirely. And yet, you know, he doesn't have this reaction. There is not a fear of which he would not speak sitting on him. You know, he tells Sam all about the black chap who, you know, came to uh, to ask after Mr. Frodo. Um, and Farmer Maggot tells the story with some relish, right? Um, of how he, you know, sent the black rider packing uh, when he came. So belongs bond exactly. Um, Hobbits are tough, right? I mean, I think that we are seeing... Potentially two things here. One, uh, the fact that um, the hobbits are made of some sterner stuff here, right? That Gaffer Gamgee and Farmer Maggot are genuinely stronger to resist the Nazgul uh, than these other people are. Um, uh, But also the Black Riders are stronger, right? Remember... Aragorn's words, uh, you know, Strider's words to the Hobbit um, that, you know, in fear and loneliness and darkness um, uh, is, 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 is where they are strongest, right? Um, you meet them in the wilds, in, you know, <clears throat> the northern Enidwife, far from any lands or far from any help. Um, it's going to affect you more than when they show up at on Bagshot Row, right? Um the, and this you know picks up on something that I think we've seen already several times before. The Black Riders themselves, they're 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 ice skating uphill in the Shire. It's hard for them. Their powers are much more limited in the Shire, um, and um, uh, and yeah, JJ, I do also agree that refugees would be easier prey than folk comfortably at home with friends and family under any circumstances, right? So the refugees are already um, traveling under a shadow of fear by definition, or they wouldn't be refugees, right? Um, so um, yeah, and Belongsmond exactly the um, the the some power that was there, which none of Boromir's soldiers could stand before, right? All of the Gondorian soldiers ran away before him. Um, you know, Gaffer Gamgee says, good night to you, and slams the door in his face, right? You know, I mean, that's, yeah, it's a big contrast, but it's, a, but it's a, again, it's, you know, everything about that is different. Um, but it's still, I think, Although there are other factors as well, the Hobbit factor, I think, is significant. And again, I think we saw this together uh, quite often when we were looking at the interactions between the Hobbits and the Nazgul during the journey between Bree uh, and the Ford, um, that there was... um, It's not just that Frodo took longer to fade, right? That's kind of the thing that gets the most press, right? But um, they have the they have more ability to oppose um, the Black Riders than clearly many other people do. And JJ, I was thinking of that line from the Silmarillion when I said that um, uh, about Feanor shutting the door of his house in the face of the mightiest uh, of all, um, you know, that in that case, the servants of Sauron. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do agree, Trifle, that um, the amount of mojo and the kind of mojo that the Black Riders are putting forth on the battlefield is going to be different uh, from hobbits that they're trying to not quite sweet talk, but, you know, trying to get information out of. Uh, they're not going to they're going to maybe, you know, uh, you know, dim the switch a little bit, you know, on the terror. Um, but still, still, I think it's um, um, I, 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 I think it's still uh there's still a, a fairly noticeable difference uh, there as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, so, I turned then east and north and journeyed along the greenway. And not far from Bree, I came upon a traveler sitting on a bank beside the road with his grazing horse beside him. It was Radagast the Brown, who at one time dwelt at Ross Gobel, near the borders of Mirkwood. He is one of my order, but I had not seen him for many a year. Um, so he turned east and north and journeyed along the Greenway. Um, again, I ask myself, why Gandalf is choosing the route that he's choosing? Right? He learned these things down in the south, south of the Shire. Um, messages came to him of the battle in Gondor. He met fugitives from the south. And then he came upon a traveler sitting on a bank beside the road with his grazing horse beside him on his way to Bree, right? So as Gandalf turns around and heads up to Bree, here I think that he definitely, um, here I think he definitely has to um, be looking for Aragorn, right? I mean, I, I, I definitely think that that's... Um, um, Exactly, JJ. Uh, he didn't meet Aragorn down in the south and figured he'd have the best chance of finding him at the Prancing Pony. Um, perhaps even the Dunedain in the south told him, like, oh, yeah, we last saw him up around Bree. Um, uh, so, yeah. And possibly Aranas, possibly he's looking for more refugees to interview. Uh, that is also certainly conceivable. Um, he would think with some... Um, uh, with some justification that, you know, news from the South will have been concentrating um, with refugees uh, in Bree. Uh, even if he's met some refugees just south of the South Farthing there, he's going to meet more of them uh, in Bree and in the Bree area, certainly. Um, and he runs into Radagast the Brown, who at one time dwelt at Ross Gobel. That is... He used to dwell. So, where does he live now, Radagast? Is is Gandalf saying that just because he's been out of touch with Radagast for so long that he doesn't even know where he lives anymore? Is he just saying, I'm not going to assume he's still at Ross Goble? Last time I knew, but I haven't updated his address in my address book for a long time, so he might have moved uh, by now. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, JJ, you're right. I mean, for that matter, where does Gandalf live now? Well, nowhere. Gandalf has never lived anywhere. He's, Gandalf has never had a home address. Um, um, but, um, yeah, now, Arnas, you're certainly correct that um, 
It is also very plausible to imagine that Radagast moved when the property values dropped in the vicinity of Dol Guldur. Um, so he has some reason to suspect, perhaps, that Radagast might have moved. Um, but, um, but it makes me wonder. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of an odd thing. So, first of all, let me address, um, Mike, your observation that it's kind of a strange landmark. Um, Radagast the Brown. You know, he lived down in Ross Gobel. Okay, is that going to mean something to most of the people in this room? Right? Why does he bring that up? Um, it is, in that sense, a kind of a strange landmark, Mike. Um, but I don't think he's bringing it up just because people might not have heard of Radagast, but they'll all know Ross Gobel. So, you know, he can, <clears throat> you know, that, that'll help to provide context, right? Um and maybe for the elves, but how many of the elves of Rivendell have been down Ross Gobel way? You know, I don't know how many. Legolas is going to know where Ross Gobel is, I'm sure. Um, but he is, I mean, is is he the only one? Right? I mean, is, does Gandalf has, have an audience of one when he says who dwelt at, at one time at Ross Gobel? Um, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think that he would do that just for uh, just for Legolas's benefit. Um, I think the point of mentioning Ross Gobel near the borders of Mirkwood is to bring up Mirkwood, right? I think that what his the point that he's making is I was awfully surprised to see Radagast the Brown, right? As he's going to emphasize, I had not seen him for many a year, right? Um, but it's not just, hey, haven't run into you in decades, right? It's not only that. It is, this guy is out of his home turf, right? Uh, he lives near the borders of Mirkwood, or at least did, last I knew. Um, so to find him uh, sitting on a bank beside the road with his grazing horse beside him along the greenway, not far from Bree, that's serious news. Something... Definitely weird is afoot uh, for him to run into Radagast there. So that seems to me, um, uh, uh, that seems to me, good, thank you. Tim Watley was using Fonstad's Atlas of Middle-earth and estimating 1,050 miles from Minas Tirith to Bree via the Gap of Rohan. Okay. So if the Pony Express can do 3,010 days... The Dunedine Express could totally do it in nine days, in theory. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Gandalf's point primarily seems to be um, that uh, this was not just a chance meeting. It's a very strange chance meeting. This is not a guy I run into all the time, right? He's one of my order, on the one hand, right? Like, I knew the guy, um, but I had not seen him for a long... I do not run into this guy very often, and he is very far from home. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, good. Matt points out that the distance between Oxford and Ravenna... Rough real world world cognates is nine hundred and eighty nine miles, so uh, you know a thousand and fifty sounds sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, okay, so... Near the borders of Mirkwood. Of course, it does put us in mind of when we've just been talking about Mirkwood, right? You know, we've had the whole Mirkwood bit just recently with Legolas telling his story about the rescue of Gollum. Um... Yeah. I'm not sure um uh I'm not sure that um this necessarily is designed to create a close link, you know, between um uh you know, Radagast and the Gollum story specifically. Um but it is I mean, it, it does create a kind of link uh, between the story that he was just telling uh, and the story that he's now telling, as if it were a kind of a kind of continuation, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Um, I think I'm going to stop there. I'm tempted to go on to the next slide. I would like to talk about the next slide, but it's getting late. And just because I started late, because I've been broadcasting since eight o'clock, uh, I've already been broadcasting for three and a half hours and my voice is starting to go is another reason to not go too much longer. Um, but just because I had to start late because I had the other broadcast earlier doesn't mean I should keep everybody up super late. Um, so besides which, I don't want to rush through the next slide because the next slide this is like Radagast's whole role, right? You know, um, uh, this is uh, this is <laughs> this is Radagast's moment in the in the spotlight, uh, and we owe it to Radagast not to rush through his moment in the spotlight. So, um, yeah, Michael, Tobias, it's a great question. Let's come back to that question next time. Uh, he asks before he learned what Radagast was there for. What would Gandalf have thought the reason for finding his friend on the Greenway was? Right, you know, it does sound like he's leading us through his own thoughts as he as he was wondering if Radagast had news from Mirkwood. Yeah, yeah, exactly, um, absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, what we will definitely think about. It's one of the things that I that I really want to be doing as we're going through this conversation and Gandalf's discussion of his actions afterwards to get into Gandalf's mentality, to try to understand this whole situation. Because if there's one thing that Gandalf does in the Fellowship of the Ring that seems tricky to explain, tricky to really grasp and understand, it's head off to Isengard, right? Um, So I want to really be thinking about this uh, carefully as we go through. Okay, Um, so... We will resume there next week um, with uh, the big conversation with Radagast and his only lines in The Lord of the Rings. Um, so thanks, everybody, for joining me for our text discussion this week and my uh, earlier discussion uh, of Signum and Higher Education, uh, which, again, those... Uh, you know, I'm going to be doing segments like that at the beginning of class each time here uh, for the next few weeks. Um, thanks, everybody. Don't forget fundraising campaign going on here over the next 
four weeks. Uh, any support that you can give, if you could set up maybe a monthly donation of just a you know like five bucks a month, that would you know those things really uh, really add up. And a lot of our support comes from people uh, who uh, who can just give small amounts like that. So thanks everybody, uh, and I look forward to further discussions next week. And feel free to join us on Twitch.tv/signumu for our field trip back to Carndoom. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I need to do this for back at uh, what you call oh, Tarman Sursa. Tarman Sursa, that's it. Yeah, my Windows is acting a little bit funny, but okay. City of a Thousand Spellings. That's right, Tarman Sursa, absolutely. As we continue exploring the suburbs of Carndoom. <laughs> yeah, the commuter area, that's right. All right. And I beg your pardon, my voice is going in and out a little today because it's ragweed season out here. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My son, Matthias, has been really... He is he is my uh, seasonal allergies, you know, indicator mm-hmm. in the house here. All right. And it's dark again. Well, poop. Hey, look, no stars here. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what's that about? I guess that was an isolated incident. We thought it was isolated just to this place, but I guess it was isolated just to that night, right? Um, I'm going to say Albareth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was some, uh, uh, you know, sort of an answer to our, you know, pleas for light to uh, see Karin Doom better. And it, it is earlier in the evening. Last time we saw the stars was just before dawn. That's true. That's true. Perhaps they peek through. Okay. Well, let's see if we can get to the bottom of this shocking discovery that we made last time. Uh, that is, as we were finding that um, Karn Doom seems to be an entirely new construction. So let's see if we can get to the bottom. Oh, yes. So let's head back across the bridge and uh, we will see what we see here. Uh, We found some uh, interesting switchback up the side here, too. Yes, we did. Into that more sort of inward courtyard. All right, so... Yeah. Right, house yeah, on the left. Here. Right, switch back on the right. That's the one that we went up last time? I think so. Okay. I don't want to go all the way to that other larger area that we found... Okay, you want to go back to where we were before? Well, mostly because I want to I want to make sure like this is sort of a weird shortcut and it 
makes me kind of, like I I want to see the effect like as we go properly by the road stage by stage to sort of see the oh, different. I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, since we're here, we might as well just glance around. Um, what's <laughs> the first thing that we noticed? We've got our Tudor buildings, and we've got our old our new stone construction. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Scaffolding. Scaffold. Yep. Scaffolding still there. Yeah. The the rusty metal up at the top instead of the black metal. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. All of this is new. Ish, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like new in the sense of been around only, you know, sometime in the last bi- built in the last thousand years. Built in the last yeah, thousand yeah. years. That's what <laughs> we mean by relative. new. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we can we can come right. I wish there were a localized map of Carndoom. Yeah, no, nothing. I wish they were not. It didn't just the map. Okay, so let's let's head back up and back around so that we can go, kind of. I, I want to go again stage by stage as we enter in. It's like um, a check engine light. <laughs> okay. All right. Because um, so, see now, all of this stuff is old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not all. We've got a newer tower over there. Mm-hmm. And the fish hook on the top of this old tower looks newer. And these houses were presumably built during the hiatus. But most of these walls are old walls, which means that if Doom were gutted by the Alliance after the fall of the Witch King. Um, They went from the inside out, right? They left all this suburban stuff and just took out the main fortress. Yeah. Which makes a certain amount of sense, of course. Yes. But yeah, this area... This is all old. Except... Possibly a few newer touches. Well, like the banners, obviously. But even apart from that. Um, And this is where we were seeing... And I I kind of skipped this last time because I wasn't ready to think about it. But I'm I'm ready now. This this wheel symbol. Which does look almost like the Cairo that we see... That we were noticing in the foundations of that bridge out in Arid Lewin. Oh, yeah. Um... Where it looked like a dwarf symbol, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it was mostly in dwarven constructions, like the bridge to the Shire and exactly, exactly. some of the older towns. Exactly. So, what does that mean? I don't know. Does it suggest that? And it is. Um, uh, it is in the, you know, not brand new, but still newer generation of, um, of stone here. Um, uh-huh. uh, so does that suggest that some of the newer stonework was constructed by dwarves? If so, where did they go? I mean, maybe they all got kicked out and killed 
Or they were dower hands with uh, legionsies. Possibly. But, Possibly. Uh, the, but yeah, I, either I, way, it looks like they, they, they subbed out the contract. Right, but if they were, I'd think we'd still see them. Dower hands, that is. I don't know if there are any dower hands here. There might be a... We did see, I think, one of the spires. Well, yeah, up in... Uh, yeah, up Nan- in... What you call it? Nangurth? Uh, there, B- there were Barad a company Gulleran? of dower hands. What, what is it called? Um, Nangurth? Yeah, no, I'm thinking of Barad Gulleran. Um, yeah, but, sorry, that's in Nankern. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. um, because they're but but they're they were explicitly emissaries, right? They, they're not just they don't just live there, right? Um, there. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I think um, that they we haven't seen them living around. So I would tend to think if dwarves constructed the newer stonework, that they got evicted or aren't still around. But I don't. I don't know. The dwarves themselves don't seem to talk about that. That's true. We do see new stonework, though, and it does look like stone that isn't native to this area. You see this big black rock here in the corner. This is what the native stone looks like. Right. 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 Behind the trebuchets. Yes. Well, like the rock in the ground here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can see there, that's what the native stone looks like. The fact that all the stone we're seeing does not look like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. does kind of indicate that it's been gathered from other places. Right, so they got stoned from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if we have to follow up to go through here. Right, but it's going to separate us if we do anyway. Tell you what, why don't we follow up? Uh, so that I don't have to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I can just look around. Um, okay. Yeah, because I'm over level, you're over level. I mean, I'll I'll get my little friend. There we go. Um, Oops, I think someone else started following stuff. You guys could unfollow, and if you need to be followed, come stand by me. Can, do, do we have a, can, can we do a big raid? Is there a maximum number of people who can go in? Is I it, can I can see. Is it a three man or a six man or something? It's oh, six. Sure. It's it's a max of six, says Emily. Okay, yeah, max of six, I guess. All right, if I've already followed you, go uh, go go stand um, at the trebuchets. There we go. All right, there's my signum U eagle. There we go. I'll bring my signum yep. U eagle with me. And I'll make sure to set him on. Okay. All the aggressive settings. It's, don't put C pads in front of me. I can't. I can't see people. Okay. Let's see. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm at six right now. So if you guys want to follow up with each other and use the buddy system. Okay. I think that's our limit. I guess. Right. Let's head into Uragarth and see what we see here. Oh, I I can't go in. You've got to go in. Oh yeah, sorry. There we go. Lying on the outskirts of Karn Doom is the fortress of Uragarth, home to countless orcs, goblins, and other curs of Angmar, the breeding grounds of Angmar's horde. Breeding grounds, huh? Okay. Lying on the outskirts of Karn Doom is the fortress of Uragarth. Home to countless orcs, 
goblins and other curs of Angmar. The breeding grounds of Angmar's horde. Okay, I got okay. you marked with our nice little red skull so we know who to... I see that. I might need to get rid of it because it's blocking my view. Oh, okay, I can get rid of it. Yeah, when I'm looking up, I'm like, I got this massive red skull in the way. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, how do I get rid of the mark? Okay, oh, there, there we go. go. Okay. Alright. Yeah, now, right. just like you were... Just like you were saying about the native stone, look at the corner, the inside corner of this courtyard there. Yeah. Right. That looks kind of volcanic. Yeah, it looks very volcanic. That's the, that's the native stone there. Um, but yeah, all of, this is uh, this is uh, this is old stuff, right? We yeah. see the non-rusty, but the black, you know, sort of reddish but blackened uh, metal. Um, mm-hmm. The you know, kind of green with age, um, mm-hmm. black and Without white. Seeing the metal buttresses in action. Also, look at this blade on the top of this little pedestal here. It's like the fish oh. hooks, but it's a different shape. And this is old metal. It's not the yeah, newer yeah. metal that we see in most of them. Do we get it on both sides? This is yeah. Uh, that's yeah. Yeah, now you can see that's it for the lobster this. course. Notice, uh, notice how closely that metal matches in texture and color the metal at the top of the battlements, right? Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, they um, this. I don't remember seeing this before. I don't remember seeing an old version of the metal fishhook no. stuff before. Um, That's new to me, but yeah, I, I like how we get to see the buttresses in action rather yes. than just standing on their own being an enigma. Right, rather than standing on their own being an enigma. Exactly. Yeah. And you, it's nice to see that they're, you know, they've got the little hanging cage decor, right? Because, yeah. you know, you do need to spruce up the place and it's thematic. Um, yeah. Okay. Now we come in and we immediately drop down to a wooden gateway. Well, it says goblins, so yeah. that's what we get. This might be the end of the interesting architecture. You mean if we're all going, wow, look at the stone here. Yeah, it looks volcanic Ooh. to me. Look at the striations. Yeah. And there is the old tower. Oh, I see a blighted white tree on the top of that hill. Well, you see a who? There's a blighted white tree on the top of the hill that overhangs. A white, whoa, look at that dude. The Drake flying overhead? Yeah, I guess. Rogue Fire Drake. Okay. Oh. So not even they have it under control. That's good to know. Okay. All right. Some random dragons. Okay. Which way shall we go first? Now, if we look at the bridges... 
Neither of these is the same style of bridge that was constructed in that town in the Sutcrofts. This looks very much like the bridges that we have on the outskirts of uh, Bree, where it reaches the, the Lone Lands. Yeah. Well, we've got Krabine in here, huh? Oh, yeah. Krabine and Goblin go together like peanut butter and Nutella. Did he just say? You boys keep up the press. What press? Get them, lads? I don't uh, know. Like pressing us into the army? Is that what they were attempting to do? I don't know. It's a wagon full of dead people here. That's weird. Bring out your dead. Like an apple press? Or like a cider press? Ew. I know. Boy, I'm trying to figure out what There's keep up the press stuff means. leaking out of that tree. It's presumably not the printing press. Um, it's the headline news. He's on a mission. So the next is that? Uh, what is that yellow business? Is that a fungus on the tree? Or it's a honey tree for Pooh Bear. That's. I suppose we can't absolutely rule that out, though. Um, you know. Yeah, no, pretty sure it's fungus or wasps or something. Yeah. Press. I'm not seeing anything that remotely looks like a press. Maybe no. they mean just press onwards. Well, there's nowhere to go either. So altogether, yeah. that was a that was a that was a puzzling declaration on the part of that orc. Eh, the goblins. What do they know? Okay, so we cross the rickety bridge, dropping towards the abyss on the left-hand side. Yeah, it what? makes you wonder if they're pushing any of these war machines down. Another cart full of dead people. What's this platform for? Uh, well, I see a crow's cage and a smattering of blood underneath it. Right, yeah, they've got a recently occupied cage. Um, well, yeah, this looks like it would be like a winch platform or something. Or it's probably a lookout post. You can see the bridge from here. Yeah, but, perhaps. Oh, can you imagine working with the smell? Yeah. Let's see. Okay, now we go across the second bridge, which has the two Iron Crown banners. Yeah. And which is tilted in the opposite direction. I hope and they didn't try to get the trebuchet across on this. Yeah. Or maybe that's why it's listing to the side now. Leave me be. Now, goblins, and they're, they've got that really fascinating banner that I love with yeah, the hand. Yeah. yeah, the hand one. and I just love those classic wolf pillars. Those are just... Yeah. Yeah, those are vintage wolf pillars. And then we've got a trebuchet, which is your say. Drums. I hope they didn't Drums in the deep. get across the bridge with that. 
What's on the drums? There's something on it. There's a face on these drums. Now, this is a ramp like the ramp up to the gate that we yeah, went to Yeah, did you before. see these drums? There's a face painted on them. Wait, which drum? Down here, oh. where we just were. Oh, not it's even really an abstract intricate. face. Yeah, it's a very detailed. It's a really eye. intricate face. My goodness, eyes with eyelashes and everything. Yeah. My goodness. I kind of wonder what these drums are made of now. That is remarkable. JJ says the face is different on the other side. Yeah. Is it? Look at that expression, with the glowering. Uh the glowering brows and the eyes looking off to the side and yeah. the and the underbite on the fangs the the one on this side looks angry the one on this one just sort of looks resigned and yeah. irritated yeah kind of like, sad you got to hit the yeah. drum again great yeah yeah that is really interesting i think that those two faces might be the highest level of representational art we've seen out of Goblins or orcs. Yeah. Which makes me wonder how they did it. Like, did they just put red powder on a, a goblin's face and just slam his head into it? <laughs> no, no way. You can't achieve that kind of 3D effect by accident. Just by slamming a 3D object on a 2D, you know, sheet. Oh, well, if it was, there was some give to the skin. It would, <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I'm thinking way too hard about this. No, there's obviously some tortured little goblin artist who has this talent level, and the right. only way he can express himself is by painting drums. Maybe he designed this banner. The banner I like, which we were yeah. again talking about even there, even with the banner, we were talking about the the different kind of representation, how the, how the hand is realized. Yeah. Which is so different from the... The, you know, the sketchy hand that we see, you know, the, the simple geometric hand or the... Um, yeah, this is a well-rendered hand, though. It is a well-rendered hand. And I remember that's what we were commenting on before. And then even the abstract conception of the way the fingers seem to be grabbing at the eye and the crown um, yeah. is uh, is interesting. But, but still, that still completely pales next to the drum head. Yeah. It, it does. It, it like the the the, the class the work up there with the really expressive maws, and the banners and the drums. It does remind me that in the Hobbit, Tolkien does state that these are a clever people. Mm -hmm. They are artisans who make mm -hmm. and invent evil, yeah. diabolical things. That means there's a level to art of artistry to them that we just don't see in orc stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm seeing the moon. I just realized the significance of seeing the moon here in Urukarth. The uh, sky's not messed up. So it is. It's the moon doing it, huh? Maybe. The moon itself looks, you know, a little the worse for wear. Yeah. Um. But we don't have that weird fell sky again. Yeah. It's just kind of misty and muggy. Interesting. Okay. Now the ramp up. This is newer construction. Rusty metal. 
the rusty that's, floor. Oh, look at all the diseased trees. Yeah, that's a fun stable. This is not like the usual stables we've seen. Looks armored like a samurai helmet. Hmm. So I was just trying to figure out what is, the roof is made of, too. It looks like, like metal panels. or metal panels? Yeah, you can see there's a sheen to them. Yeah. Back here. It does look like lead panels or something. Maybe. Well, I guess what they got a lot of lying around around here. Right. It looks like they took the armor off of some of their fallen trollish comrades and stuck it up there. <laughs> just turned it into the roof yeah makes you wonder what this is for is this just a lean-to is this a sentry post is this looks like some kind of sentry post can't see much once you're under Got the it because the roof cover is so low the bridge i mean it, yeah, that itself is is interesting right i mean these are defenses that are set up like this is this is most clearly a defense mm -hmm. that's set up to guard against any invasion of this area yeah right why would they set that up? I mean, it's just interesting I, to me that they are concerned know. about that, you know? The roof is so low, I have almost no vantage point here. Oh, what, inside there? Yeah. Yeah, inside. There's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty crappy view. Right. Everything's blocked by post or the, the low-hanging eaves. Right. Oh, wow, look at that building just sort of sticking out of the middle of the, the canyon wall. With a tower? Yeah, yeah, it's it's like embedded in the rock. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be doing anything either. Suggests that there are probably other, you know, lots of tunnels in that wall. Mm-hmm. Does make me wonder how active are these? Is the volcanic rock? You know, <laughs> is whatever put it there still doing whatever it's doing? Right. Because we have seen several things eaten by rock. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. This is also all old. This is yeah. this is more like what now it's this is still small scale, but this is more like what I expected Karn Doom to look like, right? Yeah. Um Yeah, what are we Oh, it's an overpass. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I get it. This is where you can shoot your arrows at the things underneath you, or pour boiling oil, or whatever. That'd be a long way to pour oil. It would be like boiling rain by the time it hit the ground from here. That's still boiling. Oh, there goes the dragon overhead. Um, uh, what? Where? No, I just saw its shadow just went along the bridge there. Oh, dang. Um. Huh. Yeah, look, the walls down there, the outer walls down there, are all the old walls, too. Mm -hmm. This whole area. Not the bridge itself. The bridge itself is a newer construction. It does make you wonder if the, the Poison River down there is the reason they changed headquarters. And built a new one. 
You mean a reason uh, to move away or a reason to move in? Uh, good question. <laughs> I mean, they seem to have made the Poison River on purpose. So. That's true. Just makes me wonder which part of this was originally, you know, used in Kondum and what for. Right. Yeah, a lot of these bridges so. are new, as we've seen. The bridges and ramps are new. But apart from that, everything that I'm seeing down in the valleys there, on mm-hmm. both sides, the towers and walls yeah. are old. Just what I expected to see from Kondum, but did not see when we were at the over the uh, overlook yeah yeah there's still quite a lot of this place to explore you want to keep going or come back <laughs> well we're gonna we're not gonna be able to do it all in one day yeah probably not It is getting late. Let's What a different drum. Oh, but look at this. See, that's the drum painting I remember. Yeah, it's the same on the, the sloppy other side eye. Too. Yeah. Those yeah. drums are we've seen forever. Yeah. I remember seeing drums with that sloppy eye. I remember seeing that back in Moria. I remember seeing that all over the place. Okay. So, yeah. So, it's definitely one of those, like, all of the goblins, you know, like a big line of goblins were lined up. And the foreman said, okay, we're all making drums. Just slap an eye on it and let's just keep going. There's one goblin going, this is my chance to prove to the world what I can do. And he just wanted to paint faces on them. Right. Either paint the eye of Sauron or, you know. He rebelled. Who knows if this goblin is still with us? He might have been punished for his creative outbursts. Right. Ooh, fun bases here. Fun little plinths on the pilasters. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. All right. Well, I should. We're not going to get through. So I should probably yeah. stop sooner rather than later because it's getting late. Probably. All right. Awesome. We'll continue in Uragarth next time. Um, we'll see if we can see. So next time I'm going to, you know, now that we've gotten the general lay of the land here, I want to look around to see, first of all, if we can find any more works of the talented goblin painter. But secondly, I want to um, uh, see if we can see places, since it looks like mostly old architecture here, if we can find any places with new architecture and if we can see reasons for the new line like where do they come in and build new stuff uh, to see if we can have any trends to work with that might help us to understand the rest of Karn Doom when we get there alright yep. um, right. very good oh Katriana is right we might be able to travel straight here from the instance finder next time if we just want to come oh, straight yeah, yeah. now that we know what it's called because it's in my notes yeah we don't even have to leave, uh, leave Bree to come to Uragarth next time all right. Yeah. Cool. We'll keep that yeah. in mind next time. No, okay. No. I'm gonna leave the. I'm gonna disband and leave the instance. Uh, recommend you guys do the same if you want to get out. One piece. Right. Right. Okay. Excellent. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, 
thanks everybody for joining us and we will see you guys next week for uh, learning more of Uragarth to try to uh, to um, uh, prepare ourselves for our detailed study of Karn Doom that will be continuing here uh, over, right. uh, uh, over the next few weeks. So thanks for joining us and we will see you guys next week. All right. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.